You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. I'm your host, Al Mega of the Comic Crusaders Podcast. Welcome, one and all. And today, folks, I am so honored. We have a legendary letterer here in comics. You've seen her work. Trust you me. I know I have since I was a kid, and I'm like so honored to have her here. 30 years in the business across a plethora of publishers and styles. You've seen her do, you know, Marvel, DC, manga even. I mean, come on. She's a boss. Who am I talking about? The one and only legendary Janice Chang. How are you doing today? Hi, everyone. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on and, you know, and joining us this morning, you know, to, to give us a, a brief ride through that long and amazing career you've had. Um, as we were discussing prior to you coming on, like you say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I worked on the Transformers. Like, oh, do I not know that? Because, <laughs> oh, my God, I have, I had almost every issue as a kid growing up. So it's wonderful to see the person behind those, those beautiful lettering that I was reading uh, is, is here on screen oh, I today. I made those balloons, too. The one oh, the hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Janice, let's talk. Let's talk. Uh let people know where, where are you originally from, and then let's start talking about the journey. Okay. I grew up in uh, Queens, New York. Um, my hey. parents both came from China, so we were the first generation born in this country. And um, in terms of language, we were the generation that had to figure out how to assimilate. So, you know, learning English or anything with literature was really important. And someone asked me, well, did you read comics before you started working on them. And I said, of course, because it was in English. <laughs> we, we would read comic strips that were in the newspaper. And then, um, yeah, we would read like uh, kids comics, you know, Disney stuff. And then my cousins in California were real big comic readers. So they would send up, send back um, issues that they were finished with. Finished um, with. Nowadays, no one does that. No one, yeah. <laughs> under everybody's bed or you know in the garage um, (laughs) (laughs) so what part of queens uh i grew up in east elmhurst it's like a mile from um laguardia airport right so every day eight o'clock in the morning i would hear like some plane going over the house so that was kind of (laughs) wake up right (laughs) yeah wake up time okay day starts yeah i'm originally from brooklyn greenpoint brooklyn so elmhurst isn't too far from there so yeah i know the area very well very well so let's so okay, so yeah, your your cousin sending you stuff in comics. When did to when did the creative bug, you know, bite you? Well, you know, um my parents were in a hand laundry, right? So what that meant in in the old days was, you know, people didn't have washing machines and dryers at home. And they would bring dirty laundry, my dad would sort it and send it out to a commercial laundry where they would, you know, wash it. And then things that had to be ironed were separated and stuff. So we always, when my dad ironed the shirts that needed to be, you know, personally intended to, he'd always put a piece of paper in it. It was like uh, what we would call like newsprint or a penny paper. So we always had paper on hand, you know, because my dad had a stack and we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to be creative. Right? <laughs> so, you know, we always had uh, watercolors. We always had, you know, pencils and crayons and markers. And my dad was like really, you know, skillful. Uh, when he converted this uh, old garage into his hand laundry business, he built all the shelves and stuff. 
So he had a lot of wood left over. So that was another source of creativity. You know, we learned how to use hammer and nail, electric drill, you know, screwdriver and stuff like that and paint. So <laughs> we're going to laugh. When we were 11 years old, we were allowed to use a circular saw. You know, 11? No, oh, matter, man. No matter, you know, how much you weighed or whatever, by the age of 11, you graduated to that, right? So, um, yeah, it was daunting, but, you know, I look back and I think, was my dad crazy? But he turned his fist over a saw. You know, it's like, I have a son, Calvin. I would never let him touch a buzz saw. Yo, my mother wouldn't even trust me with one now at my age. <laughs> I know, but, you know, it's like he showed us, he gave us a skill. And it became really important because my older sister, Faye Chang, um, she's passed away. She was a community activist and a poet, a well-known poet for the Asian-American literature genre and a writer. So you can Google her afterwards. And um, what happened was uh, she formed this organization called Basement Workshop with other Asian-American people in the 70s. A lot of them came out of the anti-war movement and um, also from organizing on college campuses for third world studies. So anyway, getting back to the, you know, buzzsaw, you know, uh, a lot of times Faye would get, they would get raw space. Like um, one location of a uh, basement workshop was in Lafayette Street. It was in a loft. So, you know, it's a wide open space. So, mm-hmm. you know, to my sister, it represented opportunity, a place for people to gather from the community. So it's like, okay, let's build walls. So she was capable. You know, she, she could do sheetrock. You know, she could frame because of what our dad taught us. So um, these skills are really important for kids, you know, to do crafts or work with their hands, you know, get off the computer or the phone, whatever tablet you're doing, you know, engage in the 3D world. And for myself, when I'm lettering all day, I look forward to cooking, you know, because I have to be conscious (laughs) when I use a sharp knife. And it brings me back in the reality of um, everyday, you know, life and still like, when I work on a computer, it's like a 2D world. It was like I'm totally focused. Yeah. <laughs> in, in another, uh, you know, storyline or another universe, basically. So, um, okay. anyway, that's that's a little about my background. And my mom was like equally talented. Um, she would look at you and she could knit a sweater. <laughs> like, oh, really? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a whole conversation. Oh, look what I did while we were talking. Like, what the heck? Yeah, I so, love it. So she taught us how to uh, knit and. Um, my older sisters taught me how to knit and crochet and do embroidery, handcrafts. So we were plenty busy, you know, in terms of aside from schoolwork and such. So that's that's where the art skills come from. That's fantastic. So what made you lead to wanting to do lettering? Or was that something that just happened to fall onto your lap? It, it just happened because uh, in school I majored in art. And, uh, you know, we all took art classes. And, you know, what it goes back to is also when I was born in the mid-50s, it was during the Cold War where China was the enemy of the U.S. So anyway, um, my parents were saying, well, you know, you really shouldn't make waves, you know, take care of your business, you know, like look forward, you know, have the have you know, like the your focus like that. So we dove into our studies and our artwork. So, you know, my background is fine arts. Um, you know, what's disturbing now is to see the anti-Asian hate, you know, even oh, yeah. more, you know, because I tell people ever since I was small, you know, my parents trained us to have the third eye behind our back to be aware of our surroundings mm-hmm. um, and don't walk into danger. 
Yeah. So, that's a New York thing, even right there. You know, that's yeah, the that's the first street rule of New yeah. York, even. You know, it's like yeah, exactly. watch your back, watch your surroundings, because you just don't know. Exactly, and you know, it's like uh, even when upstate, when I leave my house, it's like you know, I'm on I'm on alert because you know the times are crazy. The, the past president, I'm not going to say his name. Yeah, I yeah, understand. He, he, he spoke out of his me. ass <laughs> and said many. Things that you know, unfortunately, that a group of people speaking out of their behinds too, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's tragedy, and that's what we have to work back from. So, in terms of comics, um, the storylines we we deal with, or you know, giving people flight and imagination to escape what's the reality, that's the strength of our medium. Uh, Agree. In terms of engaging people of all ages, and you know, uh, I worked for Marvel for about. 25 years, I would say. And how did you get into Marvel? How did you um, make that step in there? Okay, (laughs) but getting back to comics is, when I was in college, I needed a job. So my sister uh, gave Larry Hama a call because they they were part of the group that formed Basement Workshop. So she said, you know, my sister needs a job to make money. Wow. So, you know, that's how it happened. So um, Larry Hama and Ralph Freese were at Neil Adams uh, continuity studio at that time. Mm. So both of them taught me like the lettering skills more so Ralph in terms of the mechanics of, you know, we had to use uh, Ames guide to rule lines because it was hand lettering, you know, you letter right on the artwork. That was nerve wracking. (laughs) 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 You know, touch this beautiful piece of art because as an artist, I can look at something and know what it takes to do that. You know, the time, the heart, the effort, and the talent, you know, the focus. So, yeah, every time I, even when I letter digitally now, you know, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to cover anything. So <laughs> I know, know by habit, it's like um, I'll make balloons, like, really tight with airspace. But personally, I don't like it, you know, the lips close to the copy because it makes it difficult to read. So before I do final files, I'll just, like, look at it again, and usually I – I uh, make the balloon like 103% larger just to give it breathing space, you know, but um, getting back to continuity. So I learned my skills there. I did some lettering for uh, Neil's business, um, but then I needed more work. So he gave me a referral to the Marvel bullpen. So what I didn't know at that time, I learned later from friends like Jack Morelli was uh, there's a high school of art and design close by Um Maybe it was like on 59th Street, and I think Continuity was on 46th Street. So um, they had an internship program, either Marvel or Neil Studio. So a lot of guys like Dennis Cowan, Larry Hama, uh, Ralph Reese, they all had gone to art and design. So that was a magnet school back then. It was either art and design or music and art. So because I was like a kid that never got in trouble, I never saw a guidance counselor, right? So I didn't even know about art and design. It's like, if somebody told me, I would have gone there, right? So my friend Andre and I tried out for music and art. We got in. But then it was like an hour commute one way from my home. So it's like, uh, I don't think so. So I went to my local high school, took all the art classes to the point where they ran out. And I was doing independent study my senior year. I was sitting there by myself. <laughs> oh, wow, really? <laughs> that's insane. Doing it. But, you know, if you think about it. When you're a professional, that's what you do. You know, you accept a job as a freelancer. You're working by yourself unless you mm-hmm. have a group of people. But basically, you understanding the need of the client and then delivering on time. So this is a word for all uh, young freelancers and mature freelancers. 
when you commit to a deadline, come in on time or earlier, you know, because uh, you never know what happens, you know, especially in comics, you know, um, writers or pencilers or inkers or colors, they need more time. Like we need time too. (laughs) Don't get us wrong. (laughs) We need time to do our work. So, you know, be gracious and uh, help the whole team out. <laughs> so what's typical time then? That, that That's interesting. Uh, that from a letter perspective on a page. Um, it depends on the copy, right? And the thing is, like, we have no control of editorial comment. I mean, content. So something's, like, really wordy and you can figure out how to cut it shorter. You can't touch it. Basically, when you give it, given a finished script, you have to follow the script. You know, you have to respect that. Uh, so depending on, you know, what's on the page, sometimes you, once in a blue moon, you get a blank page, you know, that's just art. Cause basically the artist wants the visuals to be impactful at that time. Um, I mean, actually it's a writer who makes that call or, you know, sometimes, you know, um, I know with strong King comics, we're on the lettering department. I letter everything that, uh, so someone doesn't submit with a letter on the team, you know, um, there will be elements that I'll add, like sound effects, or you know, some, or sometimes when the copy is too much, I'll break it up, you know, just to let it breathe, because you don't want like a large balloon on somebody's back or covering, you know, some part of the storytelling. So um, at Stone King, I'm allowed to do that, and basically, you know, like when I work with DC, I'll I'll, I'll make that judgment call, and the editor does, <laughs> the editor doesn't like it, they can come back and tell me to put it back. But usually, they'll leave it alone because they know I'm I understand what I'm looking at. Of course, thirty years of experience, Janice. I mean, who's gonna doubt you if you do something like, yeah, listen, this is what it is. Actually, right? Al, I should correct you. It's actually forty. Now, 40. Oh, 40. Man. And then what happened was um, when I came wow. into uh, learning the skill with uh, Larry and Ralph and then working at uh, Marvel in the bullpen, uh, the head of the bullpen was Danny Crespi at that time. And what I learned was uh, production skills, how to correct lettering. You know, sometimes, you know, there'd be misspelling or maybe there has to be a little change of copy to make the story sharper. The, we in the bullpen would get it, and what we would try to do is like imitate the letter of the story. So you know, it was like skill learning. And then um, Danny would give me a couple of you know pages to letter, you know, without lettering, just to get me used to you know the art. So I remember the first story I lettered was like an issue of Deathlock. Um, Rich Buckler was the artist on that. Um, I remember I was so nervous, and then I let I got to letter a Black Panther story. <laughs> nice, nice. By Billy Graham and uh, Don McGregor. And yeah, Big funny. Don. We know him. <laughs> it was funny because I forgot all about that until the Black Panther movie came out. And it's like, look, I've been in Wakanda since 1975. 2018, <laughs> everybody shows up. So, you know, that's, that, was a, that is a beauty of working in comics. You know, we get to tra- time travel. And, you know, um, luckily with CGI that it can be adapted into movies where more people can see it, you know, not just comic fans know about it, but people can even listen, you know, to the dialogue and stuff and uh, get into it. I was, you know, it's like, I had a um, moment of epiphany also with Dr. Strange. Um, (laughs) I led her that series. I think Randy Emberlin might've been an artist on that. So, you know, because I spent so much time in the comic world, 
I don't watch superhero movies. Well, I watched Wonder Woman, had to watch that. But as a rule, I don't. It was like, come on, you know, it's like I've given so much of my life, you know, this, I need some space to breathe. But with Marvel movies, you know, I would say to my husband, call me when Stan shows up. (laughs) (laughs) Too funny. Did you see Shang-Chi? Speaking of Marvel movies, did you see Shang-Chi? Not yet, but I heard it's really great. Everybody, you know, everyone's so enthusiastic, you know, all friends, you know, from all backgrounds and ages. And it's like, we want to see it again. But, you know, I'm a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. You know, she can kick ass. Oh, hell yeah. She can do anything. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And Okafina, I I really like her. You know, I like her. But she's from Queens. She's like you. Exactly. (laughs) Queens, right? Yeah. She's from Mount Perth. So See, um, I'm curious, Sion, about the, when you talk about the Marvel bullpen and, and you coming up, you know, to that and working there, uh, were you like one of a few women in the middle of all that? I mean, were you the only woman? Were you only POC woman, if you will? Oh, um, yeah, I was only POC woman. But um, there was a woman named Annette Kowecki who was like working there also. Her background was fine arts. and She she lettered also and did corrections. And then uh, she left and she went on to school. I think she became a psychologist or something. So, yeah, there were women. And then Marie Severin was there. And uh, and Mary McPherson was, like, uh, there at that time and Flo Steinberg. So, you know, there were women, but not on the editorial level. Not until I came back. I took a break um, in 75, you know, because I was more interested in community activism. And, you know, organizing. So I took a break from 75 to 80. When I came back in 1980, thank goodness Louise Simonson was there. And for me, it was like, you know, it was like, oh, yes, (laughs) a woman. Thank goodness. And she was (laughs) instrumental in mentoring me and and launching me back into comics. So I remember the first story she get series she put me on was Conan the Barbarian. John Buscema was an artist. It was like, what? <laughs> John B. Simmons would do warm-ups on the other side of the page, right? And they yeah. would flip it over and do the actual comics. So this guy draws like a Renaissance artist, right? And it was like, you want me to letter on this? And oh, um, the first uh, story <laughs> I penciled in my lettering. <laughs> and then I came back and inked it. So it took like two hours a page, which is crazy. Ooh, much wow. time. Uh, the second story said, um, okay, we have this thing called uh, snow cake, which is like whiteout, liquid paper. Okay, if I make a mistake, I have that, you know, as part of my arsenal to like, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just dove in and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I told so, you, Now, I want to say, is this the, the Don McGregor, you know, Black Panther, Billy yeah. Graham that you look at? That. Look how dope that is. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, Billy had drawn the lettering there, and I just came in and inked it. Um, and it was really funny because when I was looking at it, you see that caption that goes in perspective before mm-hmm. the credits on the route? So anyway, get this. This is my only second comic, right? So I, I decided second. To, yeah, I decided to take a creative leap. I said, no, nah, that caption needs to go in perspective. Something's telling me that it should drive it because of the way the perspective of the title coming down. So what happened was um, there was an article about Billy Graham in the New York Times about his art and his life. And his daughter, um, actually his granddaughter, is trying to, you know, 
she's had an exhibit of his art and um, to make people remember his contribution. So I was reading the article and then I saw that uh, title page and that caption, you know, the way the direction was going, it's like, wait a minute, this looks familiar. And I'm looking on the rocks. I said, oh yeah, I did this. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how many thousand pages before, but you know, I could say that this and Deathlock basically launched me into comics, but I didn't and, come back in 1980. And I um, love that you say Deathlock because I, I love that character. Got his first appearance. I even got the one from the Prestige series. You know, that the Michael yeah. Collins version. Conan, you're talking to a Conan lover, trying to finish yeah. that original moral run. It's like, geez, you touched everything. I love woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and this is part of what you were talking about with your community service. Yeah. So anyway, um, with Basement Workshop, we had people who were artists, writers, mm-hmm. um, you know, teachers. So basically how I sum it up is the civil rights came to the black community and uh, communities of color in the 60s. But in Chinatown came in the 70s because at the time, uh, more college uh, educated people who were born in the first generation, second generation you know, there were not a lot of Asian people, right? So the only way you see people is like in a, like a Chinatown. So we all got together and uh, we took up um, community issues. This was based on police. Oh, no, no, this was not the police brutality. This was based on a construction in the middle of Chinatown where they knocked down like three rows of tenements and storefronts mm. with this like mixed um, use building. And it was supposed to be people from different income living there. But the irony was there were no workers from Chinatown or, you know, Chinese workers on the site. So the thinking was, well, you know, you're building in our community with federal money. You owe us jobs. So what we did was um, we organized a community and we learned from this group um, in Brooklyn. It was, uh, I forgot the name of the group. They were black and uh, Puerto Rican construction workers. They came to Chinatown and taught us skills of how to lock down a site. So basically, if you enter a site, they have to shut it down. So that's how I met my husband. <laughs> <laughs> wow, gangster, check that out. He was what, you know, at the time, we we didn't like each other. You know, there was an age difference, and we just met, and uh, it was so funny. He said, I thought you were so stuck up. You know, <laughs> you know my, my thing is, is to observe before saying anything. So you can check out who's who, right? You know, the... The silly people will be always talking about themselves or sucking up the oxygen in the room. So it's like, yeah, I'll stay away from them. I don't need to spend time because they'll just be talking about themselves, right? Um, so my husband was the opposite because he was more familiar with the people organizing. You know, he was always laughing and joking. And I would think it's like, oh, my God, this guy's so goofy. But anyway, um, so he was one of the people who actually went on the site to shut it down. And he said one time he just... Climbed on a crane. (laughs) And the guy goes, I don't mind not working. He said they were so, you know, um, (laughs) polite and, you know, professional. You know, it's like, sure, I don't want want to work a day. Come in. So we did this lockdown, shutting down site for a month. So finally they capitulated and offered 35 jobs that were divided with the black and Puerto Rican construction workers and Asian, you know, Chinese construction workers. And there were a couple of positions that were linked to uh, Gouverneur Hospital. Because, you know, part of the struggle, we were interested in healthcare, you know, for the community, education and such. 
So this is one of the big struggles that everyone got together. Uh, I don't know if you had that poster about in, uh, stopping police brutality. Oh, actually, this was a project with Basement Workshop um, where we did a fundraiser calendar. And this was my piece because at that time I was still thinking about, you know, where do where do we fit in as Asian Americans, as black people, people of color? You know, where are we in America? So I, at that time, this was like 75, I still felt there was that strong division. And I think now it still is the same. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't changed. Nothing's really changed. changed much. The, the fashion and stuff and the delivery, maybe, but, but it still hasn't changed. Yeah, so we're talking about institutional racism that needs to be addressed. You know, reparations for slavery, you know, to the people, descendants of slaves. And you know what the pandemic taught us was to stop and listen and open our hearts. And, you know, I was so proud of all the young people and the people who took to the streets during the pandemic to protest the brutality of um, the murder of George Floyd. Mm. You know, it was like, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch a video till later on because I couldn't bear a look. And when you saw him alive, it was like, no wonder he, they felt he was threatened because he was alive. He was vigorous. You know, he was a whole person. You know, how dare you do that? You know, yeah, how dare you do that? That video made me yeah. so angry. I couldn't watch yeah. it. I wanted to, like, jump through the screen and, like, tackle one of the cops. I'm like, it's like, I man. know, and the young woman that was so brave to record it in history, to let people see what was going on. And you know what, what was phenomenal about mm-hmm. George, the murder of George Floyd, you know, the action around it, was it was global. You know, every country has to address their problem of racism. And, uh, you know, before his murder, there was uh, the young man, Aubrey. And before that was my good friend, Christian Cooper, the bird watcher in Central Park. You know, I worked with him in Marvel. Um, He was my assistant editor with Bobby Chase on Ghost Rider series. And then he became an editor, you know, with his, his work. So, you know, first it was like, the thing with Chris, you know, with that woman calling cops to say, you know, he's being aggressive. She feared for her life. That was like bullshit, you know? Wow. So that's why, you know, we had that term, Karen, you know, I know the woman that's like lying and, um, you know, good for Chris for catching, capturing on video. You can't deny what you see. So, um, yeah. And luckily his sister was able to share it online. And, you know, um, get the word out on it. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And this is 1975. <laughs> wow. Not to age you, but that's the year I was born. <laughs> oh, really? It was a good year, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And even then, folks, look at that. Still fighting police brutality and oppression. I mean, what's changed in 46 years since so, then? You know, it's a struggle that every generation, whether you're uh, born coming from another country and you're the generation, you know, that it's their task is to um, assimilate or even people who can claim they came on the original Mayflower. Every generation has to be taught about how to be a decent person, how to care for other people. It's not a thing you can take for granted, you know. And um, in terms of healing this country or this world, people have to reach out, you know, because this last administration, 
They drew a line in the sand. You're with us or you're with, not with us. And, you know, before then, there was a lot of fence sitting. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, people diverted by, you know, whatever their phone or whatever. Whatever new media device, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever new media device or social platform, you know, where you're just posting selfies or duck lips. It's like, please stop. <laughs> yes, like, please stop the duck lips. If I met you, I know what you look like, okay? You know, so that's good enough. But, um, you know, the year of being shut in for the pandemic made people face really serious issues. A lot of people's livelihoods were threatened. You know, the shelter for their families. You know, really crucial things that shown a mirror to the deficiency in our society, right? So, um, And the machine it, itself. Yep. So let's get back to comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this awesome page that I couldn't stop looking at as a kid. Look at you. Look at the usage here. And I love how you say it's true. You, your lettering is never obtrusive of the art. Never obstructs it. Wonderful. Favorite uh, villain uh, era? Yeah, that was something, you know, that was impressed on us at uh, Neil Adams' studio. Because, uh, you know, a lot of comic artists came through, such as, you know, <laughs> it was so funny because I'm so focused. I would just run into Larry and, and Ralph's office to show them, you know, the practice pages and, uh, you know, learn other things. And I would run out. But the people in the studio at that time was Sergio Argonis. Ooh. I remember. And then um, Jack Abel. And then uh, Terry Austin, I got to work with him a lot of stuff. He's, and uh, he said, yeah, I was at Neil's studio with Bob Wyacek at that time. And I go, really? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't notice you guys. Like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, you've been around the legend industry yourself, you know, and that's a great. And, and I mentioned Shang-Chi, and all of a sudden, look. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like um, what's great is with the CGI. You know, it's like Stanley always had a vision quest that he wanted to see these characters in movies. But um, it wasn't possible until, you know, CGI. So um, I know when they do a series such as um, Scarlet and Vision, I've lettered that series. Basically, I think I've lettered all. And then I was on Master of Kung Fu uh, for quite a while. Um, so I know they have to read the source material, which are the comics. So I know they're looking at my lettering. <laughs> Whether they, they acknowledge our team, because you know they'll acknowledge the artist or writer, but the rest Always. of us, is like, yeah. yeah, good luck reading if the letters don't come in. <laughs> yeah, they forget. About, listen, I've, I know there are very uh, engaged editor, uh, letterers on social that are very adamant about like, hey, if it wasn't for us, that you wouldn't see the words. <laughs> exactly, and you know, it's a twofold thing. You know, it's like. Um, you have the visual storytelling with art and then you have the written um, language of the story. So our job is like figure out how to weave it. And the best way I describe it is like, how do you do, how do you represent the 3d world in a 2d world? So that's where the sound effects coming and even the place of the balloons and lettering elements, you know, add to the cadence or the rhythm of the story. So um, uh, because of hand lettering, it was like stuck on the art. You couldn't move it. Um, so you had to be really careful about how you placed it or, you know, how you actually execute it. Uh, but there were like times when there were rush jobs for, you know, hand art. So we would letter on something called vellum. It's basically um, a heavy uh, tracing paper. So then uh, the 
people in the bullpen would put the liquid paper in the back. Yeah, they literally would. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. and then when that dried, they would come in with rubber cement and um, paint that on, or there was something uh, like uh, a waxer. You know, it would put a thin layer of wax so it would make it um, tacky to the page. So a lot of times when you see old art, you'll see some yellowing on it. And that's where balloons were pasted or, you know, sound pasted. effects. Pasted. That's too yeah. funny. <laughs> that's funny. Wow. So old school, right? Yeah, so different. I mean, oh, and look how gorgeous this is, the lettering on this page. Like, this, again, also one of my favorite ghostwriter runs, Daniel Ketch's yeah. ghostwriter. And I mean, uh, text and then. Your lettering, I mean, look at this. And Howard Mackey was a writer, and then yeah. uh, Gregory Wright was a colorist, and Bobby Chase was the editor. Mm. So this was the first series that um, Bobby was trusted with. And she said, Tom DeFalco said to her, you know, run with it. You know, just like, you, you're going to do what you need to do. And Tom DeFalco is one of those great guys who were o- always treated – women as professionals you know of course they were creepy guys you know you stay away from them and um people ask me well how did you survive so long in a male-dominated industry you find the decent people and you know everybody else you know you don't get my time you know you say something stupid i'm not going to talk to you yeah respect your time that's what i love telling people respect your time so if somebody's negative you know what respect your time that's not the energy you want to be around then goodbye that's not how i want to spend my time you know, That's and it. I get that. That's a hundred. I love it. And look at this. You've touched every, I mean, is, is there a character you haven't done lettering for that you would love to do lettering for? I don't, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite, this and that. And it's like, my favorite is whatever I'm working on. <laughs> That's the only way I can like clear my head and not, you know, not use old tricks. Cause people, when they start digital lettering, would say sound effects. And it's like, that's not how you do like in hand lettering. You got to draw on on site, you know, looking at everything around you. So basically, that's how I digital letter. You know, the skills I learned in hand lettering. So when I work with um, Storm King Comics, you know, John and Sandy King Carpenters Company, I use only fonts that uh, I design and I translate into digital fonts. So my hand lettering uh, styles have another life in the digital world. So Ooh. anything you see there is all, you know, original to me. And uh, that's why you can look at my digital lettering and know it's me. Because yeah, a lot of people, you know, the technique is to buy um, comic style fonts and, and use that. But, um, I, you know, coming as a hand letter, that's not my way. That's not my process evolution. Not to mention when we had the transition from hand to digital, I was locked out of a lot of companies because they – had their wow. own um, lettering mm-hmm. departments. So, you know, Crazy. I developed my own style, basically. But how was that transition from the old school style to this new style? Did, did you get acclimated quickly? Was it easy? Or, or was there a, a steep learning curve? <laughs> well, well, with me, uh, I'm so bad at direction physically, right? So we would go to a local mall, and my my husband said to my son, hold on to your mother. She's going to get lost, (laughs) (laughs) which is true. So, you know, the thought of getting on a computer was like, oh, my God, and a mouse. So uh, actually, my good friend John Babcock showed me how to use um, Photoshop 
photographer and illustrator. He showed me the digital process. You know, um, at the time, people at Marvel, the bullpen people, were starting to do the digital lettering. So once I understood the equivalent of hand tools to digital tools, it was no problem. You know, once you go through that learning curve of uh, your hair on fire on a roller coaster, <laughs> it was fine. Because, you know, at that time in uh, the mid-90s, there was no Apple Store. There was no Genius Bar. You know, it's like uh, with Adobe programs, it was like you would call a tech and, you know, good luck if they could explain it. So, you know, a lot of people would call each other. It's like, well, I did this. Have you ever seen this happen? You know, and then um, in terms of like upgrading the memory and stuff, you had to do it. So, you know, it's like, do you remember when the memory was like uh, on on glass? Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I don't remember glass, but I remember the dims and I remember having a pie, a motherboard with nothing on it. And then you had to buy all the cards to get the USB ports, the serial ports. Oh, my God. Yeah. You literally built it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I built my computer from back in the day. And thank God now they actually make good ones at a, at a low <laughs> price that I don't have I to do. Bleed, it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I come from the old school, too, for no worries. Oh, man. And, and look at this usage, too. I mean, uh, so do you recommend letterers to go ahead and find their own unique style and just use their own font? Well, yeah, you know, it's like it'll give variety to the work out there. If you, you know, um, it's funny because this is from uh, a special anthology called Festival of Heroes that DC put out. So all the creators on in the book are Asian American or Asian. So this was the first for DC. Uh, before that, there was a group um, who put out an anthology called Secret Identities, and the principal organizers on there was uh, Jeff Yang, who you see a lot as a commentator and a cultural writer. Uh, then there was uh, Keith Chow, Jerry Ma, and Perry Shen. Perry Shen is really cool. Um, he's an actor. He was on. He's been on General Hospital, right, uh, on that series. But before that, it was funny. He was an intern at Marvel in like 1994. He said. And um, I remember seeing him in the bullpen one day because I would just like run into Marvel, drop off work, pick up work and leave. I, I did not hang out per se. Because okay. um, usually, you know, my, my husband and my son would come down the city. They'd be somewhere and I'd have to go back and meet them. But I did see Parry in the bullpen. And then I didn't say anything because it's like, uh, maybe it's not cool to say, be effusive. It was a Chinese guy, you know, older woman. <laughs> 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 Years later, we worked on the anthology Shattered, right? And I lettered all the stories except for one. Um, one writer had a, a letter a friend do it for him. So we were just talking. I was like, yeah, I remember you, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. I know. Because, you know, our community is so small. The, you know, comic community, Asian American community, you know, um, you'll run into somebody directly or somebody who knows somebody, you know, and the arts too. It's that way. I'm sure you've had that experience many times. Oh, absolutely. With when people within the Latino community, absolutely. Where, you know, we, we connect, thankfully, you know, I, I'm starting yeah. to see a, a, a rise there, you know, and good, good stuff. It's about time. They, they keep opening the doors. Exactly. You know? We shouldn't be banging on them. There should be a nice door that we could open easily. Well, and- you know, we can create our, create our own homes, you know, in terms of... Um, That's what I tell people. Form your own club. Don't don't beg to get, you know, what? Show them how it's done. Then they'll start banging on your door. Oh, can we exactly. get those properties over over here? 
Uh, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, we're interested. We want to make a movie. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a beauty of social media and the internet. If used properly, you know, it's like there's so much potential. Because um, at the same time when we went from the hand lettering to digital, there also you know with the internet being more widespread, also you see um, people doing comic series, web series that they created themselves. So at that time, it was sort of like the wild west. You know, it was open to anything and there was opportunity. And that's when uh, people started designing all kinds of apps and stuff, right? So um, it was a good flow period in terms of opportunity. If you had the wherewithal, uh, if you had the drive and the talent, there's a place for you. And this this goes with any year you're born. You're not born too late or too soon. There's always opportunity. Because I sort of had this epiphany when I turned 50, right? It's like, oh, God. You know, every decade, it's like, oh, shit. You know, you can bleep that out. I'm getting older, this and that. But then, you know, I realized with myself, every decade mark I hit, I became more myself. I knew myself better. I understood the world better. And then I met somebody who was like 70. And then it was like, oh, yeah, there's always going to be somebody 20 years older or 20 years younger. So you're in the right place. So people, the age thing, throw it out the window. You know, don't look in the mirror too closely because that's not how the world sees you. It's you know, so you're, having, you're having an internal dialogue that may not be accurate. Exactly. <laughs> don't listen to your crazy self sometimes, yeah, you know? Exactly. Bang yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say your work. I mean, how did you, this would be the, the last question for me then. Uh, how did you get involved with, with Storm King? I mean, you know, that's the great John Carpenter. I'm a big horror fan. And, and now to see you involved, again, you, you continue. Your story is amazing. I mean, going back to that, 40 you plus, know, you keep going. You're a boss. <laughs> Love people, it. People had catch up. You know, it's like, you know, the period of time when I had to learn the um, digital lettering skills and nobody would tell me too much. Um, what I did with that time, I learned new skills. You know, I learned how to garden. You know, my good friend, Michelle Wrightson, she came to my door one day with a giant hosta plant. And she goes, would you like to, have to learn how to garden? So my husband and I said, I don't know. You know, there's a spot where it's wet all the time. It's like, because my husband and I grow a lot of plants, but, you know, before we moved in the house, we lived in an apartment, so everything was in a flower pot. So then Michelle goes, perfect. You need moisture for plants. To out, <laughs> so my husband is a graduate of the Fashion Institute of Technology, right? Um, he studied illustration and graphic design. So uh, he's really great at designing. I'm really get, great at digging holes. And, uh, <laughs> and that means a lot up here because all you have are rocks, you know. Hey, like, and you know what? And that's a scary thought for, for your hubby there. If you're good at digging holes, you better be a good boy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he runs fast, so yeah, I'm, like, I'm out of luck, right? But I'm really good at, at nurturing and propagating, you know, making more plants from one. Okay. That really interests me because, you know, it's like art is like always like problem solving. And, you know, it's like I get scared when I go in someone's house and I don't see a live plant. It's like. <laughs> You'll be happy with me. I have a plant and I've been raising it for almost 10 years and she's alive and growing long. I take care of it. Even my mom is surprised. She's like, you still have that plant? I'm like, because she had given it to me over 10 years ago. Oh, so you still sweet. have it? I'm like, yeah. yeah, you think of your mother when you see the plant because yeah, she gave it to you. And, yeah, um, so I take care of it very well. 
<laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, getting back to the question with John Carpenter, um, my connection was made uh, with Sandy King Carpenter through Leonardo Manco. He was an artist on um, the first book I read of his is Werewolf by Night, but he's oh. known at DC for Constantine, uh, Judge Dredd, and a lot of like really intense stuff. So anyway, um, through Facebook. I saw that Leo was on and we connected, but my son had moved out to California in, uh, let's see, like 10, 10, 11 years ago. So David Wall, who I worked with when he came as assistant and as an editor, he was editor in chief at Radical Publishing. So luckily Calvin was able to be hired in, in production and design. So Calvin goes to me, Oh yeah, Leo's um, doing this series for us called driver by night. And he's coming in from Argentina so I said, well, you know, when Leo comes in, tell him, tell him I said hello and that you're my son, right? So Calvin said, you know, that Leo showed up and he said, my God, he's so lively and, you know, funny, entertaining. And they show him the place. He meets everybody. So when it gets quiet, Calvin walks up to him and goes, hi, you know, I'm Calvin Louie. My mother's Janice Chang. I'm her son. <laughs> so Calvin said, Leo was so surprised. He jumped backwards. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Take that out. So, you know, so I wrote Leo. I messaged Leo. I messaged a lot of people. It's like, if you're not doing a series with DC Marvel or IDW or com- or Dark Horse, a company with lettering department, would you consider my work? So I would send, I sent them samples in my digital work. So Leo said, um, wrote me and said, oh, you know, I want to connect you to Sandy King. And it was like, okay, so um, he said, I want you to letter my series. And if you ever seen Leo's art, it's like you do not want to cover up anything. It's like so beautiful and gorgeous. Um, so anyway, I started uh, writing to Sandy, you know, through email, you know, asking questions about work. And you're going to laugh, Al, because I didn't know she was Sandy King Carpenter until like a year later. A year later? Because – you know, because when, when, when you uh, work That's with a crazy. client not in the industry, our job as professionals is help them understand the whole process, not just about lettering, you know, color, you know, layout, visuals. But Sandy is like a force in nature. You know, she went up, she paid her dues going up through the ranks of the film industry. Um, she studied animation and art in L.A., uh, I forgot which campus in the LA, you know, uh, college university. And she was a script reader for Francis Ford Coppola mm. on um, his films. And then she, she told Sandy's so cool. We'll be seeing a convention. We'll just be talking. And somebody walks by with a star Wars costume and she goes, Oh yeah, we, we made paper airplanes when we were trying to design the spaceships for the star Wars movie. <laughs> like holy moly what <laughs> right. we were trying to see how it flew we would throw paper airplanes to see you know the flight you know when it was airborne but you know going back a little bit sandy's dad was a pilot so she said he taught me how to fly a plane when i was 15 years old oh damn. Landed it safely she said basically he took me up there gave me the wheel and said go at it Whoa. So, you know, I want her on my plane in case there's an emergency, like the pilot has a issue. <laughs> you can get up there and get it down. Just travel with her anywhere you go, just in case. <laughs> the backup plan. Plan B is Sandy. <laughs> so, you know, she's a producer and um, 
she handles John's uh, business end of the movies. And uh, yeah, you know, you better be nice to her. Because a lot of times people who her like, oh, you're just the wife. It's like, no, you got to no. It's like when people do that, it's like, uh-uh. <laughs> that, yeah. They shouldn't dismiss. I mean, that's one thing that I love about, you know, comic cons, for example, when you see the husband and wife teams, but you see the dude behind the table or vice versa, you know, and the artist is there. And as soon as you start speaking to them, their spouse comes right around. Hi, here's their card. Here's this. Feel free to talk. You have a card. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's support. You know, I wouldn't have been able to sit down still to do my work if my husband wasn't the linchpin in the wheel that makes that household run. He raised my son, you know, went to the, you know, PTA meetings and stuff like that, you know, and because I had deadlines, you know, a lot of times they would leave me at home. (laughs) They would have fun. I would have deadlines, but that's what this industry takes. You know, it's like if you make a commitment, you have to follow through because people are depending on you. You know, it's like uh, you don't take a, Deadline and go on vacations. Come on. Let's <laughs> see <laughs> yeah, how long you're going to last, right? Right. And so, folks, this is awesome, Janice. I mean, that's great advice right there. Love it. I think um, the main, you know, aside from your talent and your ability to deliver, it's the trust issue also. Because we're dealing with a lot of intellectual property is that is not public. So, you know, the client has to feel that um, you can be entrusted with their brand that you're not going to go bleep on social media. Hey, look what I'm doing. You know, sometimes people doing is like, what are you doing that? Yeah, so somebody I know from Marvel did that one day, they put the yeah. art up. So I just reshared the art and then they DM me. Um, I shouldn't have done that. Can you take yours down too? <laughs> I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. No problem. Yeah. So, you know, anytime you see that, actually you should DM somebody. So don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's not cool. Don't do that. (laughs) Right. Shame, shame. And one last piece of advice I tell everyone, um, you know, mature, young or mature people, you know, it's like you have a dream here, right? And reality is here. The road you're going to travel is in the middle. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like when you go to school, they go, you could be anything you want, right? (laughs) that's such a big lie because you know if you have if you don't have the resources go to school you can't go to school it's like uh i ran out of money i never finished college you know but i was fine for that you know my mother was a little upset i said don't worry trust me (laughs) i can read and write i can figure it out so i think i did okay on that count because in our industry it's the the chops you put in with the time and the actual practice of what you do that really counts um, so, you know, whether, you know, you're mature or young, if a dream doesn't pan out, find another dream, you know, it's not a deficiency on your part. It's just a lot of times it's time and place. And, you know, if you find another dream, that means you look outward, you find other people because you're not going to solve a problem by yourself. And, you know, just, you know, this was, I read a lot of philosophy during that gap from hand lettering to digital letter. Cause you know, it's like, People told me I didn't belong anymore, you know, not to mention three people plagiarized my work. I know wow. I know who they are. I can look at it. I know my letter forms. I, I've lettered so much. I know what it looks like, you know. So um, that that take as uh, that time, take it as an opportunity to learn new things. Read philosophy because it's like knowledge from people who came before us, their life experiences. 
Because I tell people, you don't have to make every mistake on the world to learn. That's why we have books. That's why we have history. <laughs> True. That's why we have literature. So um, find like-minded people who will support you. That's really important. So how I was able to come back in the industry during that period where they said, well, you're a dinosaur, you can't learn. I was like, well, you don't know my parents. You know, I'm, coming <laughs> back. I'm, not going, I'm not going away until I'm ready because I'm not done speaking the language of digital lettering. So, uh, <laughs> love, but, I know, love that fire in you. That's awesome. That's the nature of our industry. You know, look, look at Stan Lee. You know, he was fighting to the end. And I was so fortunate to be able to meet him with my family in um, 2016. So, um, you know, I was able to thank him. It was like, thank you for creating um, a company where I was welcomed, where, you know, it provided livelihood. I was able to buy a house send my son to a college of his choice. You know, I had all these opportunities. I had colleagues and friends in the community. And without his leadership in it and all the people, you know, Jack Kirby, everyone, you know, Joe Sinnott, who was a good friend, you know, until he passed away. You know, that last hand-lettered panel of um, the web of the Spider-Man series, it was for a Sunday issue. It was a tribute to Stan. Um, That was the final one the team worked on. And, you know, it's like what's great about um, my my work in the industry is like I meet so many creators because we get teamed up together. So with the um, hand lettering for the uh, series, Spider-Man series, I got to work with Alex Saviak. I got to work with Larry Lieber, you know, Stanley's brother. Brother, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like so cool. And then uh, – Joe Sinnott, who was one of the original creators of Spider-Man. You know, he inked it with Jack Kirby as an artist and then Stan and worked on the storyline. So, you know, people with the, you know, Stanley, Jack Kirby school, get over with it. You know, it's a group effort. Yes, it and, is. Um, it was an honor to letter, you know, that series for the King's Feature. Because, you know, Stan was adamant about keeping it going. You know, because that's that's where the introduction of young kids to Spider-Man was, the newspapers. Yeah, and, um, many of us. That's definitely for me, too. I remember picking up the paper and I had, you know, uh, the Daily News yeah. on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, the color color version. Oh, did you, yeah. have silly, did you have Silly Putty, too? Where you? No, I didn't have the Silly Putty stuff. Because if I pick up the thing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can get a reverse yeah. comic. <laughs> right? our, weird, our weird toys from back in the day, folks. Yeah, yeah. We had some stuff, but I never got that. But you Janice, had slime, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I did have slime though, nasty that my mother hated it because I would throw it onto the wall and she was like, "This is just disgusting." I don't know why I bought you that. Anyway, just want to thank you for your time, Janice. You are a wealth of knowledge and fire. I want to, I want to say thank you. Give me your flowers you here. Opportunity. Yeah. Your, uh, your audience. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your creativity, here, your fire, and everything you've been doing. You're, you're uh, amazing. And, and, and I hope wish another 40 years in this. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> You've been awesome. So, folks, I'm just going to show it another time. Please follow Janice and see everything she's up to. Twitter, Instagram at the Janice Chang or on Facebook at Janice Chang Comic Letterer. Show her the love. Show her the support. Throw her flowers. You've seen her work. Trust you me. Who hasn't? The whole world has seen her lettering. I'm sure, certain of that. Yeah, and more are gonna keep seeing. So, uh, continued success in your journey. Much health, love, always. Thank you for hanging out with me today, folks. You Thank know what you. to do. Thank you, everyone. Every-
Thank you. Everybody, everything's in the outro. You know what to do. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today.